I invite you to be seated. The whole point of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit is with us and is testifying to the presence and the power and the work of God in Jesus Christ. The point of Pentecost is we are not alone. Even Jesus, even though Jesus is absent in body, the Spirit of Christ lives within us. That is Christ's promise, and that is the fulfillment of Pentecost. So we can know everything we need to know about God. The Holy Spirit teaches us what Jesus taught, and the Holy Spirit does what Jesus did. And as Karl Barth said, all that is Spirit proceeds from Jesus and results in him. So the Spirit empowers us to make connections between what Jesus did then, what Jesus is doing today, and what Jesus would have us do today and tomorrow. And the Spirit does that in and through the church, which is the gathering of God's people, the communion of faith. The church teaches, and in worship we remember. There's a fancy word I got in seminary, anamnesis. Anamnesis means to remember. And we remember all the time in worship. We are remembering, bringing into to embodying Jesus every time we worship, when we remember what he said at the Lord's table on that last supper, and we remember the acts of God in the past in our Eucharistic prayers, and we remember in the other prayers that we say each and every Sunday morning, we're remembering who God is and what that means for us as God's people, but we don't get to stop there because then the Holy Spirit, which has come upon us and is given to us in our baptism, sends us out to heal, sends us out to offer good news, sends us out to speak up for the oppressed and to feed the hungry and to practice love and forgiveness and to care for the earth and for all of God's creatures, we remember so that we can be a community that reflects Jesus Christ. What would happen if we stopped remembering who we are? What would happen if we developed amnesia? There's a danger of amnesia described in the story of Babel. Sometimes we get stories in scripture have to be taken literally or not. The story of Babel, I would argue, is not literal. But it is a story that seeks to explain how it is that we became such a diverse people. Long ago, it says, after God had created the heavens and the earth and all the living things upon the earth, God told human beings, what, to go forth scatter and multiply, populate the earth. But the people didn't do that. Instead, as they moved, they moved out eastward, and instead of scattering, the people, the story tells us, stuck together. They stuck together and they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there, and not only did they settle there, but now one, the world, the entire population of the world apparently had one language, and a common speech, and a single identity, and a common culture. 
And the people even said to one another, come, let us build a city now with a tower that reaches up to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That is the human drive for sameness, for unity. We are most comfortable when we can get everybody around us to be like us. Diversity is hard. So when spread, instead of spreading to unknown places, these people of God who had been sent out into the world to be diverse, instead built a wall around themselves. Literally, built a wall around their city and built a watchtower up to the heavens. And they gave the city the name Babel, which in Akkadian, which is a really ancient language, predates Hebrew, means gate of God. They named their city the gate of God. The human beings are still doing this today. It happens wherever there are clumps of people, right? Clumps of people with a common language and with common fears and common interests and common values. And before long, we're trying to establish some power and control and to make the world over into our own image. And we try to make God over into our own image. And we confuse our way for God's way. In its most extreme form, we see it in those oppressive ideologies, you know, whether it's radical Christianity or radical Islam or white supremacists or whether it was the Black Panthers or I don't know, any other group who wants to build walls around themselves and set up watchtowers to spy out the people who are different. It's sometimes tempting to think that everyone, including God, should look like us, act like us, think like us, but that has never been God's plan. That's the whole point of the story of Babel. So the Lord, we're told, comes down to see this city. You know, we're picturing, it's a wonderful story, imagery. Picturing God looking down at the earth and saying, what are they up to down there? It's like being on a very high building, and if you've ever done that on a skyscraper, and the people are like ants, right? And you're looking down at all the little... What are they doing? And God comes down to check it out. Like a parent whose children have gotten quiet too long in the back room. And God peeks and sees that they have created this city and built the wall around themselves and the tower. And God is disturbed because what has become of diversity? And where are the people who were supposed to be sent out into all the face of the earth to settle it. So the Lord says, hmm, if the people are speaking one language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, God says to the council of heaven, come, let us go down and we're going to confuse their language so that they will not understand one another. So the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. In other words, God got them back on plan. God, the gate of God, the name Babel, gate of God in Akkadian, became in Hebrew the place where God created.
created diverse languages, where God confused the people's languages so that there would be diverse language in the world. Our identity cannot come from clumping together. Our identity has to always come from God. And God's plan for our identity is that we will be diverse in the earth. So Jesus came to remind us that we're all children of God, that we have to live together, that it's not easy. He says it's hard. So Jesus says, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, this counselor, this advocate. My power, God's power is going to be your power too so that you can go out and do all the things that I have taught you and commanded you to do. Ah, but sometimes we'd like to forget who Jesus was and what he taught, wouldn't we? Sometimes it would be easier to forget. One of those times was years ago. Um, you're going to remember these names. They haven't been on the tips of our tongues in a while, but the Sarnea brothers. Do you remember Tamerlan? and Jahar Tsarnaev. They were the Boston bombers. Two young men who hadn't been on our radar and who showed up at the Boston Marathon on a beautiful day with backpacks and something we later became familiar with called a, a pressure cooker bomb. Now we know, we didn't know before them. Set those bombs and caused immense destruction and suffering and loss of life and terror. We learned to say their unusual names. We learned that they had been young men who had grown up in the United States but had become radicalized, begun to identify with Islamic, and I mean radicalized extremist Islamic terrorism because they were angry at life angry at their own lives, angry with the state of the world, ang angry with the United States and the West. And so with these bombs, they go off and there's a manhunt and we're watching the manhunt on the news and part of the manhunt is when the police arrive and they, the young men are fleeing the arrest and Jahar dies there, he's shot and then run over by his own brother who's backing away at top speed trying to evade the police. And then what happened, I don't know if you remember, but it came back to my mind, is his family couldn't bury him. Do you remember that? His family couldn't bury him because we all hated him. We hated this young man and everything he represented. Jahar became everything in the world. And so his family could not find a cemetery that would sell a plot to them. And nobody wanted that young man buried next to their loved ones. And no funeral home would agree to accept his body or to prepare him for burial. He was shunned. There's a cemetery plot in Treeport right next to where my mother's. We had two. My parents bought two, one for her and one for my father. And then my father wound up deciding not to use his plot. Well, we've got that one sitting there, and nobody in the families needed it just yet. But I did not offer it to the Sarnea family. It was just easier to let it be somebody else's problem. 
But the point of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit is here and it will not let us forget for too long that we belong to Jesus and therefore we belong to forgiveness and we belong to mercy and we belong to love, radical love that even reaches out to love the enemy. And then I heard a story about a woman who stepped forward and arranged for Jahar's burial. She had a cemetery plot. She paid for his, his uh, preparation and then she buried him there in her cemetery plot. Kind of like the man who claimed Jesus' body from the cross and put it in his own unused tomb. I cried that day with gratitude, relief, and shame. A young man turned terrorist, a young man we hated, had now been claimed. Why? The reporters asked her, why would you do such a thing? It was a Pentecost moment. She said, because it's what Jesus would do. It's Pentecost every time the Holy Spirit shows up and guides us and nudges us to do the things that Jesus would do. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us and we remember what Jesus said, we don't have to approve or forget the harm caused. We just have to be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. We forgive as we have been forgiven. We love our enemies and those who persecute us. For this is how the world knows that we are Jesus' disciples if we show love. That simple act of mercy trumped everything. In one instant, she reminded us that we are not vengeful people because we belong to a merciful God. The point of Pentecost is the assurance that the Holy Spirit is with us, empowering us with God's presence so that we may work and do the work of God through Jesus Christ. In Acts, we read, they were all together. See, it's always there you are. All together again. And there came the sound of a rushing wind. They were closed into a house, remember, afraid. And there came the sound of a rushing wind, and tongues of fire settled on the disciples' heads, and they all began to speak, not in one language, but in different languages. In all the languages spoken by the world's peoples, Greek was the common language, the language of the whole empire. But when the Holy Spirit showed up, it did not speak the language of empire. It spoke the language of diversity. It spoke a chorus of voices so that all people could hear in their own languages and be reminded once more that they are each and every one sons and daughters of God. And through the Holy Spirit, in the midst of chaos, there is community. There is no need to be united in one language or culture or set of beliefs. That is a pipe dream because we are united in the spirit of Christ by a God who has called us first and foremost to diversity. Amen.